Welcome to DeFi by Design, where we talk all things blockchain and cryptocurrency while striving to educate, empower, and enrich. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the DeFi by Design podcast. Excited that you're here and thank you. Uh, before we jump in, I just want to give you guys a quick couple words about our lovely sponsors who make this show possible. First, we have Metis Network. Right now, every layer two optimistic rollup uses a single sequencer to run their network. This creates a large security and decentralization risk. If that one sequencer goes down due to a malicious actor, seizure by outside authorities, or anything else, the results could be catastrophic. Soon, Metis will launch the first ever sequencer pool. By spreading sequencer duties across multiple parties, Metis will decentralize the most important function of a blockchain network, combine that with their network of block producers and validators, and Metis will become one of the first truly decentralized layer twos using a decentralized sequencer. These sequencers will be required to stake and lock a minimum of 20,000 Metis tokens, which effectively ensures that they will act with the network's best interest in mind. I'm pretty excited about this personally because during DevConnect, we listened to a lot of talks about decentralizing sequencers, and even Vitalik gave a talk about the roadmap to decentralized sequencers. The more that we can push this innovation forward, the more that we can push this ethos of decentralization forward, it makes the entire ecosystem better. So thank you, Metis, for supporting the rollup, and we look forward to seeing this come to fruition. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the DeFi by Design podcast. Um, I don't know really what to say other than the last 24 hours have been a bipolar sense of the imagination that we call crypto. Um, we have aged three years and three days, and we are lucky to be talking today with the co-founder of Offchain Labs, Stephen Goldfelder, and an active community member of the Arbitrum Decentralized DAO. Here with Rob, of course, Rob GM, your STIP maxi. Uh, we did the Arbitrum STIP marathon space, covering all the STIP projects. Rob, how are you feeling? Feeling good, man. Happy New Year, Andy. Happy New Year, Steve. This is the first pod that we're doing in 2024. It feels like we're just kind of like getting into the groove now. And uh, what a way to kick it off. So, Steven, welcome to DeFi by Design. Um, we were DeFi Slate, now we're the roll-up. And I think, uh, I think that's a great place to start because uh, on Arbitrum and... As an L2 within this Ethereum roll-up centric roadmap, um, maybe we could start with like essentially how how you're doing, and then and we can get into the vision that you have for Arbitrum uh, within the Ethereum roll-up centric roadmap. Hey, uh, happy New Year! Thanks for having me. Super excited to be the guest to kick off 2024. So that's awesome, and uh, congrats to you guys. I've been following your progress and uh, really uh, fantastic. So excited to to be here today. Um, yeah, happy to uh, to get into it in terms of the roll-up centric roadmap, which which you mentioned. Um, you know, this is a, a super exciting time because we're actually seeing, and you know, we've said this uh, many times, but that's that's the thing. Like, as you scale, it's it's more exciting every step you take. So, you know, we've, this is not the first time we've seen Ethereum scale, but as we take these additional steps and see new milestones met, new capacities met, it's more and more exciting, and it's a testament to really. Uh, the strong leadership and vision of Vitalik, who set up this roll-up centric roadmap, you know, in 2020, when there there were very few we were building, but uh, we hadn't launched yet uh, anything, um, you know, at Offchain Labs. Uh, others, most of the current other players in the roll-up space weren't even uh, building. Some were, but most were not at the time. And it's, it was an extremely early vision, an incredible vision, and uh, it's playing out. It's happening, right? It's it's really really working. The roll-up roll-ups are scaling Ethereum. And I am super happy to play a small part of that and uh, excited to uh, to continue building uh, for Ethereum every day. 
Awesome. And and as most people probably know, you're the leader, founder, CEO of Offchain Labs. Um, and then when it comes to Arbitrum and the DAO, you are like one module essentially within this like larger ecosystem of uh, decentralized community. So could you kind of talk about like the separation? Like what does Offchain Labs do? Why is that different from what Arbitrum the DAO does? Um, and we can talk about kind of like what is in store for uh, for both of those entities going into 2024. Absolutely. So at Offchain Labs, going back um, five and a half years at this point, when Offchain Labs was founded, our vision was to scale Ethereum, to build a scaling uh, technology for Ethereum. It was early days back then, and this actually was not a, a new thing. This was on the heels of our academic work at Princeton. So Offchain Labs uh, spun out from Princeton University and Arbitrum, the paper, the academic paper was published in the summer of 2018. And actually, if you go back on YouTube and search for Arbitrum, you know, once upon a time, I would say, just look for Arbitrum, there's like one video. And now there's like, a, obviously a proliferation of videos. But if you go back for that first, first uh, video, you'll find a, a class project at Princeton uh, discussing a very early version of Arbitrum. I actually predates my involvement. This was a project led by Ed Felton in an undergraduate seminar. That project went on the shelf for some time. And then Ed, Harry, and I, so those are my uh, two co-founders, Ed and Harry, um, picked this up in an academic context. And we, we uh, built that out. The paper, the research, uh, the initial research, I should say, was culminated in the paper in 2018. The summer of 2018, that's when the company was founded. And we've been building on this vision to scale Ethereum and to build uh, additional capacity for what we knew, what we believed, and what's, you know, looking backwards, we were correct on would be the maximum, you know, massive increase of of demand for Ethereum block space. That was our vision at the time. And we set out to build that and we, you know, built the core Arbitrum technology, but it became clear to us um, at some point that Arbitrum technology is not something that should be or could be um, controlled in a centralized manner by any company, be it off-chain labs, be it any company or any individual, and therefore decentralizing Arbitrum and putting the control of Arbitrum, the hand of, of the community um, was, was important, particularly when you think about a technical point like upgrades. How do you upgrade the software? Um, and that has um, a lot of uh, different uh, ramifications for security, for just features and for what the community wants. And that's obviously it needs to be in the hands of the community. And uh, the Arbitrum DAO and foundation are the, are the manifestations of the community where the community can and does have input uh, onto, um, you know, onto the direction. And that includes both the technical direction of like, hey, what upgrades should the software run? And includes the funding direction, right? Hey, if the DAO has a treasury, what should the DAO spend that on? And that those decisions are in the hands of the community. Now, it's, it's no secret that, you know, as part of this off-chain labs, uh, team holders, um, you know, were allocated some of the community governance uh, uh, tokens. Um, but we as a policy at off-chain labs do not vote with those tokens. Um, and therefore, we like to really uh, make sure that governance is in the hands of the uh, community outside uh, of us. And we have seen, and you know, happy to get into this more, uh, over time, really fantastic and so many voices. I, mean, I know we have Arbitrum OG and Stip Maxi here, so you guys probably know better than I do, but so many voices arise in the DAO. It's, you know, it's funny, the DAO is not even a year old, but it's a, a vibrant and active community. And it's not always a community that agrees. And some people mistake this 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 uh, chaos or something bad, but that's something good. You know, what what uh, when people are plugged in, they're going to have strong viewpoints and they're going to care. And that's what the DAO is. So. Yes, I am an Arbitrum community member, but you know, um, 
uh, it's important for Arbitrum to be controlled by the community uh, and also excited for other voices, be them individuals, be them other companies, be them technical builders that will build, uh, build software and contribute software to the community, be it at the application layer, be it at the core chain la uh, layer, all to contribute here as well. And the idea is that this is a community-driven project that's larger than any one team or company. So Off-Chain Labs has a history, has a launch partner in uh, with, the, with the Arbitrum Foundation in creating what exists today. But ultimately, you know, our goal is to uh, more and more empower the community and empower others to build alongside us. We've seen this happen in a really, really strong way over the past many months. But um, I think there's a ton of potential to, you know, take that even further. Yeah. Yeah, and needless to say, uh, number one uh, roll-up on L2B as far as activity, TVL, all of that goes. Just crossed a billion dollars of uh, DEX volume, I believe, uh, in the last 24 hours. Um, Rob and I are involved in the DAO, seamless grants. People are active, um, definitely very, very active, right, which is very, uh, very important for DAOs because DAOs kind of die off inactivity. But when you have that that level of activity that Arbitrum does, makes it easier to grow, um, you know, and and to kind of uh, get things done. Um, and so, kind of bringing bring us to that, uh, there's a lot to get done in 2024. Um, from your from your perspective, kind of from a, a almost an outsider viewing in, right? You know, you you've been in the trenches for so long with Offchain Labs, Arbitrum, seeing this all kind of blossom. Now, you know, we're in 2024. The Arbitrum DAO is established, right? We're not going anywhere. Um, Ethereum scaling. Uh, these these rollups are almost like the original vision of Ethereum sharding, but not in the same way, but in, in the same sense. We've got all these different rollups. We're going to bring them all, all together uh, through different te technologies. Um, and, you know, it's happening. So it's that is done. It's established. But now the, the cool part is that we kind of get to decide the direction as a community. Um, and so kind of from your shoes and, and from your perspective, what are the couple things that you'd really like to see uh, from the DAO in 2024, whether it be vision or certain initiatives, um, you know, kind of what what objectives or, or DAO goals uh, do you personally see or have? Um, yeah, start there. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And yeah, it has been definitely a fantastic time for, for adoption. And but there's so much more that, that one can do. So, you know, I don't like to be uh, particularly too strong in, in my recommendations, because um, I really appreciate other voices and, and want to make sure that other voices uh, rise and, and, and um, you know, we, we sort of limit, um, you know, I, I don't want to sort of uh, have undue influence in any of that. But that being said, I think the DAO has a tremendous um, role to play in building, uh, obviously, the Arbitrum ecosystem, because that's what it is, but really Ethereum and scanning Ethereum and, and what that looks like and, and what the shape of that is and, and how it can uh, bring uh, new verticals uh, onto, onto Ethereum and give them the security of Ethereum, give them the ability to transact uh, in Web3, which, you know, we obviously, I believe, and I'm sure you, you believe as well, is a fantastically important, revolutionary for many applications and um, something that's a massive opportunity. And the DAO has a ton of, of uh, directional input there into what to do. Uh, and that includes both, again, technical direction or the DAO. So the, the one thing about Arbitrum, the Arbitrum DAO, which is different than any other L2 DAO that I'm familiar with, is that the governance is actually self-executing. And what I mean by that is um, in some DAOs, you'll have governance votes and then a multi-sig with keys, 
And the multi-sig are basically supposed to turn the keys when the, when the DAO votes, but those two things aren't actually glued together. It's just sort of uh, an assumption. In the Arbitrum DAO, when you put a proposal on chain, a uh, technical proposal, and say, and it says, okay, do this upgrade, it's, it's the vote that actually makes the upgrade happen. If the vote goes through, the upgrade happens, so the DAO is actually uh, significantly in control over real, real power. The things that I would say that the DAO, um, you know, very, very broadly um, should, the way I would like to, you know, would love to see the DAO view itself is, you know, it is uh, a very well-funded enterprise and it has the ability to, 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 uh, to um, sort of uh, shape this uh, direction of the ecosystem. And it should look for how do we build this coalition of really strong voices, individuals, um, could be other, you know, companies, other service providers as well to, you know, embark on this vision together because the whole theme of the DAO is not one company, not one person, but this uh, cacophony of voices that you need in order to have success. And the one thing that Arbitrum DAO has, uh, and I think it's a, a big, big uh, step up from, from others, is it has diverse communities, right? So it's not just Arbitrum, we all agree. It's, well, there's there's the Treasure community, and there's the GMX community, there's the Camelot community. And, you know, if you just read the, the DAO forums, you don't have to go back too far to see that they don't always agree on every detail, but they do agree broadly on they want Arbitrum to succeed. And that's like the really nice thing. When you have different voices that have sort of different perspective of what's important, um, but all have the same goal, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not gonna get to uh, an easy answer necessarily. There might be some chaos, there might be some um, you know, disagreements, you know, there might be some wins and losses and some things you know, proceed, some things don't, but that's the engagement, which I think is important. So I think the DAO needs to uh, embrace that engagement, right? There are some out there that say, oh, it's chaotic, you know, it needs to be uh, more centralized. Like I would disagree. I think, you know, if you look at just to like governments, right, right, different uh, forms of government, yeah, democracy is probably the most chaotic. Right? If you have a dictator, it might seem from the outside less chaotic because there's just someone that tells you what to do and everyone knows that they have to do that. And you know, everyone just walks in stride and follows, it falls in line. But if you have uh, real voices that are empowered to direct things, then they're going to speak up and there's, you know, they're going to, it's going to look chaotic. It's going to look um, really messy at, at times, but I think that's where, that's what we're doing. And that's where the importance comes. And the DAO needs to figure out how to channel that and make sure that it, that it makes these right decisions and also look back at decisions it's made and say, you know, there was like the step, uh, these steps, did they achieve the objectives? How do you iterate in time? You're not going to necessarily get it right the first time, whether you're centralized or decentralized, but you can take input and put, and put that into a feedback cycle. And so then the other thing uh, on terms of other community members and, um, you know, getting other companies and brands to be, to, to, to contribute, I think is fantastically important. I think it's something that the DAO should, should definitely uh, look to get, you know, more aligned voices, but these should be, these should be, um, these should be companies and these should be people that are uh, really committed to, to, to Arbitrum success and really excited to say, um, you know, I, I work for, for, for the community and I am excited to um, put all my resources into making sure that uh, the community scales. And the last thing I'll say is, and this is something for me personally, but this is something I think that everyone in the Arbitrum community uh, and really in the L2 community more broadly uh, can and should focus on. It's something which I've been trying to do more in the past few weeks and it's 2024 is one of the things which I um, am committed to, to really uh, doing, which is, you know, some of the other ecosystems out there, they point to Ethereum and say, uh, there's all this fighting in Ethereum, like they're hurting themselves, different L2s are warring and hurting themselves. And to some extent, I think that that's incorrect for the same reason why I think fighting in the DAO is incorrect. Sure, you have other ecosystems that only have one voice. Uh, it might sound better and there's less dissent, but it's when people actually care and are committed, that that's that's important. And that's what actually um, 
you know, go, makes this uh, different in the fact that people are committed and care and there's no way to hide opinions. There's no way to, to mask that. It just has to come out. On the other hand, though, you know, so that's one the one hand. On the other hand, I do think that there is uh, some fairness in the criticism in the following sense, which um, as L2s, L2, you know, builders of layer twos, um, it's sometimes easy to get caught up in the small differences, right? So you're totally zoomed in and you're like, you know, I hike, your guys are doing everything wrong, everything incorrect, because you're doing this like sort of, you know, technical detail of the proof in this way and not that way. And you can get really, really into these like minor differences, but you fail to zoom out and like, hey, we agree on like 99% of things, right? If you look at like, uh, you know, across the aisle, there are those that don't think that Ethereum is, is the, is the, you know, def should be and is the default smart contract platform. We all agree on this. We all, again, want Ethereum to succeed. So I think zooming out is important and letting people understand that, hey, I'll be the first to criticize another role if they're doing something which I think is bad for Ethereum, but also realize that, hey, we're all in this together and all trying to do the things that are best for Ethereum. And um, zooming out more, particularly in public, I think is, is, is very important. So that's one thing which I personally will be doing um, in my uh, role at Offchain Labs and my role as a, as a community member. But I think it's important for us uh, as a community to understand that. And, and the thing that the, we can do as a community is understand that there's a greater purpose here, right? We're also trying to elevate Ethereum at the same time and not lose track of that, not lose sight of that when we uh, are, are engaging. It's not all about... Um, it's not all about like, you know, the super intricate zoomed in details, also the zoomed out details, which is, hey, we're scaling Ethereum and that itself is super important and we're doing a really good job at that. I love the philosophy you have on chaos because it's like a productive chaos. And it, it by accepting that chaos is going to happen almost inevitably, you almost like front run it. And then you're able to, to switch the, you're able to flip the script and go from chaos to simplicity, which is not the normal course of chaos it's normally simple into chaos so by accepting it realizing it you're able to flip the script and kind of take care of it and then go in a more uh beneficial direction which i think is really really cool um you mentioned like there's a lot of places almost there's 99 percent of the the surface area where uh these l2s agree with one another so and then maybe one percent where not so much agreement could you kind of like describe like what are the aspects where people agree or the L2s agree? And then where do you think is some of the, some of the areas where uh, L2s might clash? Absolutely. So uh, I think from a vision perspective, um, you know, we can get into heated, heated debates uh, on the Ethereum level, on the Arbitrum level about what the best uh, way to do things. But having like the fact that like L2s leaders generally agree with the vision of, we want to elevate Ethereum. We want we want to scale Ethereum. We want to um, make the, you know the, increase the availability of Ethereum secured block space. That that's like a massive agreement. And and if you look at over time the way that these debates happen, you often see the you know the scuffle in the moment. But direction directionally, teams you know tend to also move together, right? So teams, for example, you'll see this around uh, how we approach as a community alternative data availability solutions, or how we approach like. Um, hybrid solutions like uh, Arbitrum AnyTrust or Validium. And there's there's like a lot of consistency and the debate often like leads in the direction that most people follow in. So um, there's not just focusing on the debate, but realizing we're also kind of agreeing. Another another example is, you know, there were some early debates around uh, optimistic rollup, um, 
withdrawal window, how long that should be. Should it be an hour? Should it be a day? Should it be a week? And, you know, even teams that are quote unquote warring have been able to come together and say, okay, it looks like we as a community wanted to do a week. Great. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to build the software in that way. So there's a lot that we can just, you know, through the debates and through the fights, through the arguments, we come to consensus on. It's, it's sort of a method to consensus. That's number one. Um, also just the vision, but, but also in terms of actual technical progress and technical alignment, I think is, is important as well. So a great example is, is EIP 4844. This is something which, uh, many different teams are contributing to, and we're contributing to on the Ethereum layer and every line of code that we write, say at off chain labs is going to benefit, um, our competitors at, at other at other at other companies as well, and similar for them. Every line of code that they write towards this goal is going to help us, and there is just shared interest there. And that that really, again, in a very literal sense here, that shared interest is on Ethereum, and it's the direction of Ethereum. Hey, how do we make Ethereum the settlement layer that's optimized for rollups? And we can all contribute to that at, at Offchain Labs. So we we talked about our our contributions to Arbitrum, but we also haven't talked about that much or haven't talked about it all here today, is we build Prism software. Prism is the leading consensus client for Ethereum. And you know we, as, at the L1 development layer, are super involved in EIP 4844 and contributing to, to Ethereum uh, in that way. And I think there are plenty of other ways. EIP 4844 sort of has the community spotlight right now, but there are plenty of other ways uh, that we can contribute as well. Uh, related to EIP 4844, for example, we, can, we collaborate with the Ethereum Foundation. We've published a bunch of papers on... Um, you know, analyzing these proposals and seeing how will they affect the Ethereum, Ethereum community, how will they affect roles, just understanding. Um, and also there's just yeah, a ton of shared interest when it comes to um, features that we can all agree on or all, uh, or all uh, make use of or standards. That's the other thing, which I think it's a little bit early still to talk about standards because, you know, you don't standards and innovation, right? So if you have a standard that you have to fit into and you're trying to build something that's completely new, the standard is just going to sort of get in your way. As the innovation happens more and more and more and you build something that's being used, standardization becomes more and more important. So I think we're still probably early on towards the innovation uh, cycle, but I think we're getting closer and we're starting to see places where standardization can and does make sense. And that's another place which I think we can all agree on because, you know, the alt, alt L1s are, are not wrong in the fact if we, if we can't ever come together and can't ever agree and can't ever, you know, focus on Ethereum and not argue over every small detail, we will end up hurting ourselves. I don't think that we've done that. I think that there's a, an amount of fighting that's good and the amount of fighting that's helpful to get in that direction, but I think we have to have a dual purpose. So um, those are some technical technical answers, I guess, um, of where we can do that, but also just you know uh, support each other. That's just the, the social layer as well. Just say, okay, I'm going to understand and really internalize this and try to support uh, other projects uh, and realize that they are doing, um, they're set out to do something that's noble and they agree with me on what I'm doing. I might disagree with how they're doing it, but still be able to recognize that we're largely on the same team. Yep, definitely. And that's the Ethereum ethos. And I think Arbitrum is very aligned amongst others. Um, I, I, I remember ECC last year, uh, Harry was on a panel with uh, three ZK EVM uh, builders. Alex from ZK Sync, um, Jordy from Polygon, and uh, Matt or Dan from Pico. And uh, they were in a heated debate with regards to uh, ZK versus Optimistic. And they all started ganging up on Harry 
saying that Arbitrum <laughs> has no choice but to be a ZK roll-up in the future. And Harry is just sitting back there. And of course, this is like se seven months ago. So, you know, these ZK roll-ups hardly had even launched or had any TVL or any users or anything. And Harry's just kind of sitting there giggling like, guys, like, look at our chain. Like, look at our, our activity. Like, <laughs> he didn't even have a response, right? Because there's there's no reason to to, to one-up anybody. There's no reason to kind of uh, attack other people's solutions, but in a friendly way um, and for the sake of innovation. And, and I, I thought that was very outstanding in the sense with regards to, sure, perhaps we can agree that ZK technology is extremely powerful. And you could even agree that it is more futuristic than an optimistic technology, or you could say no. But the, you know, having the open mind and being able to just kind of agree to disagree, but also have that similar uh, you know, traction with Ethereum is, is super important. Um, kind of coming back to, to the DAO conversation a bit with regards to this chaos that Rob has mentioned. One of the big drama points for Arbitrum in the last couple of months was this big bankless DAO thing, uh, as well as some of these other large pro uh, proposals uh, for ARB tokens. Some, some passed, some did not. Um, I know you have some thoughts on, on, on these, so maybe I'll frame it to you as kind of where do you draw the line between greed or, or excessive, uh, excessive uh, asks from DAOs uh, and wanting to actually wholeheartedly be a part and attract as many service providers, quality minds, and people as possible uh, to a DAO? It's, it's a great question. So yeah, I don't have any specific comments on, you know, I wasn't didn't have any involvement there. The only comment I'll say is that um, sounds like there were some misunderstood identities in, in, in that whole thing as well. And, you know, I've known uh, in terms of the Bankless HQ side, I've known Ryan and David for a long time and only have, you know, a lot of respect and positive things to say about them. And I, and I, and I uh, um, seems that they got sort of embroiled into something larger, lar larger than that. Um, but I, I think, you know, uh, generally uh, back on the theme, which, which I, which I said before um, is I think it's important for, um, you know, the, any DAO really um, to take its job seriously and realize that these resources are, are real resources, right? And that's number one. And even though it's in a you know decentralized and a virtual setting, they're like real resources and they are people that you should, I think alignment is, is the most important thing, um, which is um, how, do we, how do we create alignment and shared vision and shared purpose and shared mission? And again, confusing alignment with agreement are like, completely like it's, it's an easy thing to do but it's, it's not the case at all like we might be aligned in vision but have radically different views of how to get there and in fact that's a good thing because if we don't we're probably not really aligned because i'm probably just i'm not paying attention i'm just going to agree with whatever you say uh, if i actually care and i'm really aligned deeply committed to a vision i probably won't agree with you on every step and how to get there um so understanding the process of reaching consensus uh with disagreement i think uh, is important but also um just just focusing on that alignment which is um there are teams out there that um you know might see the dow as an opportunity um and, and by the way i'm not talking about the bank situation at all i really uh to, to be clear i'm talking about like how the dow should think about this in, in the future uh there are definitely are teams out there that might um see DAOs or, or or exploit the um lack of centralization in, in a DAO setting it could be in any DAO where they'll say hey um I could just get money uh from a DAO for doing some services then I can go to the next DAO and get money for doing some services and they can might you know sort of uh, exploit that nature so I think um 
But the, the, the role of any DAO, I think, is to understand that it's, you know, a real, a real, it has a real sense of purpose and should have the same, um, you know, anti-conflict and uh, alignment values that you'd want when, for example, in a centralized organization, hiring, hiring uh, an employee or hiring a service provider, which is, um, are you committed to, to the mission? Are you committed to the vision? Uh, we should find someone who's, um, you know, really excited, not just to provide services and get paid. Obviously that's important. Everyone wants to get, to get paid for their services and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but it's super excited about, about the mission and plugged in and it actually in full agreement and wants to make this particular DAO, whether it's the Arbitrum DAO or some other DAO, uh, a smashing success. So I think, and I think, you know, the Arbitrum DAO in the ecosystem is fortunate to have a lot of different candidates and players that are very excited about what they're doing and could definitely um, play that role. But that's what I think is, is, is very important is just, um, you know, finding the people that, that are excited about um, taking the this to the next level. That could be application built developers, that could be uh, other service providers, that could be uh, chain developers, whether those that write core software, core, you know, core software for the chain or those that actually want to launch their own chain. There are so many different roles and it can be non-technical roles as, as well. There are so many different different roles uh, in, this e in the ecosystem that need to be filled. And I think, um, you know, finding aligned voices for those roles are is uh, really um, going to um, be a, be critical for, for the success of, of any DAO. Yep, yep. And yeah, I equally was not trying to pick on any specific thing. Just it's interesting when you have a decentralized uh, organization, how to make decisions and filter and it, it, it's all new, right? And I'll, the Arbitrum DAO has done a good job of kind of appointing people in a in a way which are uh you know legitimate have had have had uh tenures with arbitrum you know different types of things and um it's very interesting so i think uh i think most would say that arbitrum is the DeFi hub of l2s like hard to disagree with that so arbitrum has the dominant like there's just no way around it like i mean i mean unless you guys have an objection but yeah Go ahead, Sing, before oh, I was... no, no, no objections, sorry. <laughs> no, no objections, right. So dominant DeFi hub. I mean, one could even argue across all of crypto. In terms of the, the dApps, the experience, the yields, the opportunities, the builders, it's quite dominant. But there might be some places where you think that Arbitrum isn't so dominant, whether it's events or whether it's uh, NFTs or SocialFi or uh, RWAs or, or um, I don't know, different languages or community. What are some of the areas that you are particularly interested in seeing Arbitrum flourish outside of DeFi in 2024, which perhaps aren't weak now, but maybe could use some more development to further strengthen uh, the kind of position of Arbitrum as well as the entire ecosystem of Ethereum? Taking a quick commercial break here to tell you guys about our lovely sponsors. Right before we get back to this fascinating discussion, we have a message from our current sponsors. Here we go. I want to take a moment to introduce you to our sponsor, Premia Finance. Premia is a native options protocol that offers market-driven pricing and capital-efficient returns for traders and liquidity providers. With Premia, you can trade options on a variety of different crypto assets. What sets Premia apart is its unique pricing mechanism, which is based on the market's expectation of future volatility. This means that options prices are always in line with market conditions, which provides traders with the most fair and transparent pricing. Recently, Premia has just launched their Options Academy, where you can learn for free how to become a proficient options trader. Feel free to check it out at premia.finance, hedge your risks, or amplify your positions um, to earn more capital efficient returns 
on creating finance. Thank you. And another exciting sponsor to introduce you is Plana Finance. I've recently been onboarded as an advisor for Plana Finance, which is one of the first self-custodial wallets to support account abstraction. With Plana Finance, you can revolutionize your crypto experience and take control of your assets like never before. Say goodbye to the hassle of managing multiple wallets. Hello to a seamless, user-friendly experience. Plana Finance allows you to easily manage your assets, swap tokens, and earn rewards all in one place on your mobile phone. They have an app in the Apple App Store as well as in the Google Play Store. Uh, with Plana Finance's self-custodial wallet, you hold the keys to your assets, ensuring the highest level of security and privacy. With tons of cool features like gasless trading, um, interesting yield competitions, and cool NFTs, there's an amazing amount of effort going into building this app that already has tens of thousands of users. So what are you waiting for? Download Planet Finance today and experience the future of crypto wallets. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, number one is I would definitely agree that Arbitrum has a core strength in, in DeFi. And, in, in, and one of the nice things about DeFi and one of the things that I think brought DeFi um, to prominence you know, uh, a couple of years ago was the fact that you can have these sort of synchronous interactions with applications, there's, uh, there's a deep network effect that has there, whether it's because of the other applications that are live or because of the liquidity that's there. And um, I think we, we're increasingly seeing innovation in DeFi happening there, right? So it's not just, hey, okay, I can launch a DEX here, another DEX here, another lending protocol here. It's um, how can I combine these different pieces in ways that no one else has and tap into protocol A, B, and C, and by doing so, build protocol D that's new and unique and different and differentiated. That's uh, incredible to see. That's uh, what I love to see. And we see a ton of that innovation uh, on Ethereum and on Arbitrum, right? As, and, you know, as was one and, and separately as well. That's, that's what's always made Ethereum different to me, which is it's the mindshare and the innovation. And there's so much new and exciting things. And, you know, it's less copycat projects, but more like deeply innovative projects, which I think... Uh, are excited there. There are other verticals, which Arbitrum, I think, is also very successful. One is gaming. Arbitrum Nova is uh, really, really successful in gaming. It has lots of high-profile games. doesn't always get the, uh, in a very financialized uh, world where lots of metrics are, are financialized, like gaming doesn't always get its, its uh, you know, fair level of recognition because uh, often the, those aren't the, the metrics that they're tracking. Um, and, and I think to, to lots of the times their benefit, right? If you want to be, you know, in 2017, maybe maybe that was what gaming was focusing on. But today, like you have real game gaming uh, studios that are building like priority number one, good game. Number two, crypto experience for those who want it. Right? Those are that, and that's the correct, in my opinion, uh, viewpoint that games should have. But like the idea is that therefore they might just not get their their recognition because uh, they don't have you know the TVL numbers that others do. But they also they do have the transaction numbers, and I think anyway, it's also a little bit earlier. Uh, in terms of the gaming life cycle and the DeFi life cycle, but that's a place where I, Arbitrum Nova is is very strong, uh, both in terms and also into the Arbitrum ecosystem. For example, uh, Zai XAI their their launch uh, is uh, happening uh, soon, and they've seen fantastic success on te test that, and also a team of core builders that are just really plugged into the ecosystem and to gaming, and um, you know know how to build a good experience. And we're seeing others as well. Um, on Nova, for example, you have plenty of the proof of play team is doing just record numbers and um, really exciting, innovative things when it comes to fully on-chain gaming. And, and I can go on, but I'll I'll sort of stop there. But there's always more to be built there. And gaming, like I said earlier, is 
earlier in its life cycle. So I don't think that that's uh, any chain is necessarily one gaming or at this point, I think there's a lot of exciting signals, but it's earlier on. Um, other other um, verticals that you mentioned, um, real world assets, that's a, an exciting one for me, but also really early on. Arbitrum has some early successes there. Um, you know, Franklin Templeton expanded to Arbitrum uh, recently. Um, uh, Centrifuge launched an Arbitrum, and there are uh, lots of others as well that are either launched or in development. Um, and that's where another place where I think DeFi is going to be helpful because today, like TradFi and DeFi, even on-chain uh, RWAs are sort of segregated, but a lot of builders that I talk to have a dream of merging those and making experiences that are DeFi-like, either connect payments or other DeFi uh, functionalities into uh, TradFi. Because just taking your TradFi you know, existing positions and moving the bookkeeping on chain, it might actually help for costs and efficiency, but it's not that the most exciting thing to do. Really figuring out is how can we take this technology and take the users and give the users new powers and new capabilities is the most exciting. When you do that, um, number one is who's the audience? It's probably a lot of the people that have been doing DeFi, but number two also is there are just you know ways to tap it. You know people are interested, or builders are looking. Are there ways to tap into those markets? So I think Arbitrum's role in DeFi is um, going to be very uh, important there. But there are also others doing important experiments. So Kinto is a is a institutionalized chain launching in the Arbitrum ecosystem, just focused on on on, on uh, institutions. And sometimes they have different uh, needs. For example, KYC is one of them, where they might just have different KYC requirements and not be able to tap there. So they're, it's happened to DeFi. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't be, but there are different ways to sort of experiment here. And we're seeing a lot of uh, that in the Arbitrum ecosystem. Um, when it comes to, you know, to, to say where I think, that, you know, one place the Arbitrum ecosystem is, uh, has some room to catch up. Um, you know, SocialFi is uh, one of the other ones you mentioned. And Definitely, um, I think we're, we're seeing uh, some def exciting and engaged projects that are that are working and building really, really interesting things. Um, but that's not, I would say, Arbitrum's core strength right now. Um, that doesn't mean it can't be. I think that there's, uh, you know, exciting possibilities there. And, you know, those that are looking to build the ecosystem should, should think about that, which is, okay, how do we, how do we, um, you know, incentivize builders to do, to build more here, how do we? What what what, func what functionalities, be it technical, be it something else, can we provide that makes this ecosystem more attractive for that? Because you know, ultimately, you know, I view Arbitrum as a, a very general purpose uh, technology, and even the uh, public Arbitrum chains are, for the most part, general purpose, and you can have uh, a ton of different uh, applications and innovations using using this technology. Um, some Arbitrum is leading on today, some it has really early signs of progress and some. I think there's the other one that is super exciting for Rob and I, that we, which we've been paying attention to is, uh, the orbit Arbitrum orbit launching app chains and launching, um, kind of playing into like the, like the whole modular narrative, right? Arbitrum orbit just integrated Celestia. They're going to integrate all, alternative DA layers for their L3s, um, basically launching chains on top of Arbitrum L2. Right, which then gives almost becomes Arbitrum L2 almost becomes like a settlement layer, right? Which be, then elevates Arbitrum to a whole different level. It's not just a roll up for Ethereum, it's like also a settlement layer itself. Um, yeah, I'm curious what, what, what your thoughts are on, on the modular thesis on Orbit on these kind of app chain L3s. Where do you see this playing out um, with Arbitrum? One thing that I think we at Off Chain Labs, when we talk about the technology, 
don't do quite as well as some others is uh, we tend to wait to talk about things until they're like built and they exist and you can use them. And uh, we often don't, uh, you know, play the narrative game as much as, as maybe we should. I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not saying so sort of patting ourselves on the back for that, right? It might be a good thing. It might be a bad thing. I'm not sure. Um, and, you know, Arbitrum, when it comes to, there's, there's a lot of different um, views and visions of like, you know, how these different modular pieces uh, come together. But the cool thing about the Arbitrum ecosystem is that there actually is a modular stack, a modular stack that people are innovating on today. So as you mentioned, Celestia integrated their uh, alternative DA, uh, you know, their, their data availability layer uh, into the Arbitrum Orbit stack. Uh, Near actually um, announced something similar last week that they're doing. Um, others I know that we're working with are doing this as well. Um, um, when it comes to shared sequencing, Espresso Systems is building integrations for um, both the Time Boost protocol, which is an orbiting protocol that can, uh, you know, for, for MUV capture, uh, but also um, building just generally their shared sequencer capabilities for orbit chains that want to opt into it. And there's the list goes on. And actually, if you look back, and I'm, I'm relatively sure that, you know, either the first or certainly one of the first uh, alternative DAs to go live was actually in the Arbitrum ecosystem on Arbitrum Nova back, uh, you know, in the summer of 22, where Nova went live with a uh, the AnyTrust technology, which uses alternative DA, doesn't put all the data on Ethereum, uses a data availability committee. And that's been very successful. And that's something else which uh, exists on the Arbitrum you know, or in the Arbitrum Orbit ecosystem. And actually just today, um, an announcement came out for, in the Arbitrum Orbit space where you can now do customized gas tokens. So you can basically go ahead and say, hey, I want the fee token here to uh, be, you know, whatever token I want it to be. It doesn't have to be ETH. If you're not using alternative DA, that doesn't always make that much sense because you're paying so much in Ethereum L1 fees in ETH. So you might as well collect it in ETH. Otherwise you're sort of just, um, you need to constantly just, you know, sell them to get the ETH because you need ETH. But when you're talking about alternative DA, your, your ETH costs go down and, and are fixed generally uh, per block. And you can actually now do things like, okay, um, change the fee token because your fees in Ethereum are, are much more predictable and even even steady. So um, we have uh, the we something we published for Orbit Chains is this launch tool tool where you can go ahead and uh, you know just toggle like now the custom fee tokens is, is launched in there as well. Toggle different toggle different customizations, sort of customizations that people have expressed that they want the more popular ones. But the cool thing with Orbit is you can go ahead and make whatever changes you want, and that's for Orbit uh, Layer Threes, which which you mentioned. Um, there are a lot of benefits to Layer Threes over Layer Two. Uh, you what two of them are number one is just the uh, lower onboarding costs right so if you are say have your funds in coinbase or binance or some other exchange and you want to get them onto uh your chain if it's a layer two you're gonna have to go to ethereum first and then from ethereum to that chain so layer three you're going to actually be able to go directly um from arbitrum to that chain and you'll have you'll you'll benefit from the you know 90 95 percent or so cheaper fees on the Arbitrum network, then those Ethereum transfers and the cost of onboarding users is going to be a lot lower. Also, the cost of just posting data to Ethereum, particularly when you don't have high transaction volume. Um, for layer twos, you constantly need to hit Ethereum. For layer threes, you can sort of take the bus. So rather than going to Ethereum directly, you get on the Arbitrum bus, your package together with all these other transactions. And even if you have only one or two transactions uh, to contribute, that's something which um, you know is, is something which is totally fine and you'll only pay for the, for the space you used. And the last really uh, crucial feature, I think, of Arbitrum as it relates to Orbit is, you know, to be honest, every chain has dreams of becoming like uber successful very early on and having a ton of transactions. 
It doesn't always happen. Sometimes there's a, just a bootstrapping phase, right? Where like, okay, you have to, and your transactions might be spotty. You might go for a period of time without transactions. One of the things that differentiates the Arbitrum Orbit technology from its competitors is the block time is completely elastic. What I mean by that is if you have a lot of transactions coming through, it will do up to four blocks per second, the fastest of any L2 that I'm aware of. If you have like 20 minutes without uh, any transactions, there will be no blocks. You're not paying fees of empty blocks to Ethereum. And that's something which, you know, when you're calculating your costs, if you're in like a, a, one of, you know, our competitors roll up where they have you know, fixed blocks, blocks. So every two seconds, you have to pay these costs for, for an empty block. It doesn't matter if you have users or not, you have this, these fixed costs that are very high. Whereas with Arbitrum Orbit, it sort of scales with your, with your users. And that's something which I think is important. I, I will mention though, um, there are or Orbit L2s as well. So Orbit L3s are definitely the more popular option. Um, there are Orbit L2s as well. And I know there's an ongoing conversation with DAO on this uh, in terms of licensing models for, for, for layer twos. Layer three is completely open and permissionless. Layer twos is, uh, you know, the DAO currently uh, controls, but there, I think there are, there are ongoing conversations on how to make that experience more smooth. And I'm definitely following those conversations, um, you know, closely from, from our, from our perspective. Um, but yeah, um, probably gave you a lot more than you bargained for in that answer. Certainly the technical details, but I'll round it out with saying, um, there are, you know, our, I, when I spoke with the team last week, uh, they told me, uh, they, you know, they showed me about 50 plus, uh, chains in development. Um, a few dozen or so have already announced publicly. Um, maybe, maybe one or two dozen have announced publicly and that, that information is on our, is on our, uh, you know, on our blog, but we're actually working on adding orbit chains to the Arbitrum portal as well. So you can now track these in live, live, and there are just literally a proliferation of these, of these coming live. And, um, I know some alpha, which is, I know of some high profile chain launches happening, uh, between now and the middle of February. So, uh, we're going to see some really exciting things that, uh, I'm aware of uh, coming in the ecosystem. Nice. On that note, people have been keep asking me about this because I've been tweeting so much recently, like a little airdrop fanboy about Tia stakers and Adam stakers and this and that. And, and, and if, if you don't want to comment, that's fine. But people have been asking me quite a bit about Arbitrum staking. Right. And then the, the thought about, okay, well, if there's all these orbit chains coming out live launching tokens, how do they get the best way? How do they get the Arbitrum community involved the best? Well, they could, they could airdrop or, or they could reserve tokens for ARB holders or ARB stakers or, but wait, ARB staking. And I know Plutus is trying to figure out their ARP staking. So like ARP staking, like when is it like possible? Is it a DAO thing? Is it a technical thing? Like when? <laughs> W-E-N. Yeah. So that's definitely not, you know, that's definitely in the DAO's realm. Um, not in, and I know there's been a very active conversation happening there um, as, as you, you, you referenced and a lot of different voices there. I'll say something technical on this point. Um, uh, which is rollups and uh, proof of stake chains are, are very different in the way that they their technology works. So a proof of stake chain basically it's a it's a voting protocol basically, and you need uh, the stake is sort of helpful to secure the chain because you have different people sort of voting voting with their stake. There are slashing conditions where the chain stake or the chain is actually like providing real economic security to the chain, and this is true. Um, you know, in, in just about every proof of stake protocol that I'm aware of. And that's, uh, that's where it's sort of most people, when they think of staking, um, think of that. 
In rollups, it's a little bit different. The, the key feature of rollups is actually they don't have their own consensus. They don't need to have their own proof of work or proof of stake. They rely on Ethereum's consensus. So they do have consensus, but that consensus is, you know, the, the API for that consensus is a smart contract on Ethereum, right? Interestingly, there are, we talk about rollup roll validators. Rollup validators don't talk to one another. All they need to do is watch Ethereum and say, is what's happening on Ethereum a correct representation of what's happening on the rollup? If it is, we're good. If it's not, they engage in the fraud proof process and they fix that. But, in, you know, interestingly, they're not actually trying to reach consensus with one another. Um, well, they are, but via Ethereum as, as, the, as the consensus vehicle. Um, so it's a little bit of a different technological landscape. And the question then, uh, the technical question, which I think is a very interesting one, which I'll, which I'll pose is, um, is there a, uh, a mechanism where staking provides economic security for rollups um, where it, uh, you know, in a similar way that it can provide for economic security for a proof of stake chain. I think it's a fantastically interesting technical research question and one which I don't know the answer to, uh, often I have some ideas, but I don't have no, you know, I haven't, uh, done the, uh, full amount of work to actually have, uh, you know, I don't have like a, a, uh, a paper written up on this or anything like that. Yeah, and I think that's no something worries. which. I think is uh, is a very interesting tactical question. So not exactly the answer to the question you asked, but hopefully no, uh, it's, it's some good tactical. I mean, uh, the token right. itself solves the something for nothing problem of the rollups, right? Like there, there has to be value on the rollup for people to care for, for distribution, for marketing, for community. But yeah, it doesn't, it, staking doesn't really apply in the same sense as you explained. So um, yeah, Rob, you got what? Yeah, what Stephen, what you say about proof of stake makes sense. Like any kind of staking mechanism would not be at the protocol level; it would be at the application level on top. Um, and yeah, I do. I mean, I have so many questions. Yeah. I'm trying to formulate. No, that's a good question. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I don't some know. research to do. <laughs> okay, cool. I mean. Yeah, I, I like. I have so many questions. I'm trying to pull them all into one because uh, I realize we're running a bit low on time. So, like, the main crux of my problem is like, as a Stip Maxi, like, what went right with Stips and what went wrong with Stips, and try to improve that for for future incentive programs. You mentioned like incentive allocation, and and there are certain areas where uh, incentives could be allocated to kind of boost those areas. Um, I heard you mention kind of like the onboarding normies uh, and and Arbitrum uh, layer threes. Let that happen a little bit easier by transforming gas costs and the and the directness of the onboarding. Um, and then also some of the other sectors aside from DeFi uh, that are getting a little bit less love, but could flourish on Arbitrum. So with that being said, you know, whether it's onboarding normies, like if, you know, you were to look at STIP and I think. Personally, that was like one of the light bulb moments because it got so much attention and generated so much traction. What went right with STIP? And then if you were to do like a STIP round two, like how would you reshape uh, some of the allocation of those incentives so that there was more incentives flowing into the areas that could, could really benefit from it and benefit Arbitrum and Ethereum overall by incentivizing those, those portions of the ecosystem? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. I, I don't, you know, from from my from my focus and my vantage point, you know, I focus much more on the technology, and um, so I don't I don't have specific comments on, um, you know, allocation or how the community think about it. 
I think the process um, was a great one. I think the process of seeing so many different voices come together um, was absolutely wonderful. And that's, you know, you know, really made me excited about the uh, engagement of the Arbitrum ecosystem and that there are people that just care and have strong opinions. Um, whether those opinions are my opinions or not, I think is, is not relevant. Um, you know, the, the community needs to, uh, need, uh, needs to figure out what, what it wants to, uh, what and how it wants to support. But I think it's, you know, the, the thing that makes me excited is the community understands its role. And that's, that's the most exciting thing here. So if you look back, I'm sure, you know, it, this probably goes true across the line. If, if everyone that argued for something looks back, they'd probably change something in hindsight, you always will. I think that's the community's continued role, which is to go ahead and take the input and not just, you know, uh, do it once and then never look back and do it again, because then you're just going to do the same process, but say, hey, um, what was helpful for the ecosystem? What was not helpful for the ecosystem? I think having, you know, obviously different objectives, what is helpful for the ecosystem mean? Obviously getting, um, you know, strongly supported apps in the ecosystem is, is important, but also continuing to build the core technology um, uh, that might be uh, other nodes and service providers that, that, that want to launch in the ecosystem and, and, and working with them as well. And ultimately creating this, this, uh, this network that has, you know, it already has the best core technology, but the best, um, application level technology, the best service technology, the best user experience. Um, you know, I think we've, as, as just a general directional thought of, of where we can improve and, you know, maybe that's helpful. Maybe that's not, um, I think. Scaling at this point is is not the number one issue um, that, that we have. Um, we are, by the way, at Offchain Labs, continuing to do more work on scale, right? So you always have to think ahead of ahead of time. And we're working on something called Arbitrum Stylus, which uh, will uh, has the ability to provide another you know 10x computational scale, 100x memory scale. These are like large 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 numbers, and um, you can view scale in two ways. By the way, you can view it as a reduction in gas cost. You can view it as an increase in capacity. And those two things are are both uh, can both be true and and are, are you know are, are are really important to in an ecosystem where you believe the demand is increasing. But I would say at the current moment, um, user experience is 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 also very uh, probably at the forefront, which is how do you just increase and make the user experience great? Um, two questions to ask there are you know well I should say Arbitrum is doing I think really well there. Um, Block times are really fast, which is important uh, for people. The uh, the chain uh, generally is reliable, and um, you know the, the technology works. It has all it's fully built out. So the user experience and the security security like trade off are I think are really at a really good place. But not being complacent, like how do we how do we build the user experience? How do you make it more more easy to access? How do you do the, make it access? You know, particularly as you talk about um, new verticals like gaming or real world assets or socialify. You're trying to appeal to a wider user base here that, that is not necessarily the users that use Arbitrum today or use Ethereum today or use any blockchain today, and they might not have the same skill sets. And to, in order to take a sort of um, important and well-adopted technology, but in a more limited circles today, and take that to really worldwide global adoption, uh, I think the big bottleneck is going to be UX. And so the questions I think we can ask are, um, how do we improve the UX? And this can be on the application basis, you know, on the app layer. This can be on the on the, on the protocol layer. I don't know, um, but that's one important uh, direction I think where uh, we as developers need to think about. And maybe there's something for the community to 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 also consider uh, there as well. Um, and um, and, and ba basically also how do what do, what can we learn from other ecosystems? Are there other ecosystems that are 
that are uh, doing things well when it comes to onboarding users, making this easy. How can we replicate that in the arbitrary ecosystem as well? Awesome. That makes sense as far as incentive allocations. I think it's it is an interesting question, just related to the to the arb staking question, which is like at a certain point, cryptography becomes crypto economics because that's how we derive consensus and coordination across these chains. So it is it is like very very cool to see how the arb DAO allocates those incentives and then uh, reinforces some of the areas that are particularly core to the Arbitrum ecosystem. Um, and there was there was a question that was posed by one of like the by one of our community members, which was that um, if if zk technology kind of like proved like more efficient, apparently you had said that Arbitrum would transition to like a zk rollup if if the research became uh, like so supportive of that technology. And I found that quite curious. Like, is that is that true that uh, there is possibility and essentially my question is like what what would zk technology have to look like for arbitrum to make that kind of switch good question so one point of clarification is um the only thing i control is what i work on and well that's not true what off-chain labs work on, works on right and what i mean by that is um we can build technology and we can you know based on certain metrics change or not change our direction but that's the really cool thing, you know, bringing it back to where we started here. Um, the DAO is the one that actually has the keys of what gets launched on chain. So uh, if I become a ZK Maxi tomorrow, that doesn't mean that Arbitrum will ever become a ZK chain because I don't have, I don't have, you know, any keys to, to the chain at all. I'm not on the security council. I'm not like literally, um, I don't have, uh, you know, I, I, you know, th that has to go through the, 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 the process of the Arbitrum uh, DAO and the Arbitrum uh, deciding what is the future of the chain. And similarly, by the way, if some ZK builder out there comes ahead and I'm, I have no idea anything about it and says, hey, we think that the Arbitrum chain should, should move over to ZK technology and they propose some technical upgrade to the chain, that can go through, um, you know, whether or not, you know, I or Off-Chain Labs agree with that. I think that's important to, to mention. That being said, I can talk about our focus at Off-Chain Labs and what we believe and what, you know, what we're building. So um, Off-Chain Labs, just focusing on the name for a second, is, is different from most of our competitors. Um, we are Off-Chain Labs. The thing you won't see in our name is the word optimistic, the word ZK, the word snark, the word stark, uh, or anything that really um, speaks to a particular technology. And, and it seems like a, a strange point to make maybe, but it's actually important because when it comes to our mission and our vision, our mission is to scale Ethereum with the best technology available to give users, you know, Ethereum security with great usability and do the, use the best tools available to do that today. Our mission is not to take optimistic rollups and scale Ethereum, right? That is what we're doing because we believe, and I believe that optimistic rollup technology is the best technology uh, available today to do that on, on a few planes when it comes to maturity, when it comes to cost, when it comes to uh, security, and it, uh, particularly as it's deployed today, and when it comes to flexibility, the ability to do things like Arbitrum Stylus and really innovate and add things, EVM Plus, add other languages to this software, I think the Arbitrum Nitro stack is the best, not optimistic rollup stack, is the best rollup stack today. But that's not hard-coded, right? And to go back in time, I mentioned earlier that Arbitrum started off the paper 
one of the key points of our paper, probably the thing that got it published to use the security, use the security as a top uh, conference for uh, academic security um, papers. And probably one of the things that led to its publication was something called the AVM or the Arbitrum Virtual Machine. It was a really interesting design uh, from a research perspective. And in fact, an Arbitrum launch in 2021, in August 2021 to the public, it used this, what we call now Arbitrum Classic. It had the AVM in there. Fast forward a year later, Arbitrum Nitro replaced the AVM with WebAssembly Wasm, an off-the-shelf VM. And we were able to take Wasm, build a prover for it, and build all the, all the roll-up using uh, other technology, uh, sort of more standard technology, not something we built. And we also replaced the custom-built Arbitrum node with GEF, so Ethereum's Go Ethereum node. And you might say to yourself, or had our company mission been a little bit different, right? You might say like, that must've been super difficult for you, right? You took your, your prized possession here, the AVM, which Ed, Harry, and I literally, not an exaggeration, spent years of our life designing this. And it was really cool. It is really cool. And I'm sure that there are other research papers today that are building on this design, whether they have applications or not, because you know, in the realm of scientific knowledge, an extremely innovative and interesting design and approved actually to be very useful for some time. But as soon as we realized that we had a better approach, uh, we being us at Off-Chain Labs uh, with Nitro that didn't use this, we were happy to throw that out. We were happy to say, I'm not connected to that. My mission is not to scale Ethereum with the AVM. My mission is to scale Ethereum with the best technology available. And hey, look, we built something better. Cool. And something better is actually off-the-shelf you know, tech that's not used. You know, we, we did a lot to make it work in a roll-up. There's a ton of work there. And Arbitrum is the only chain that actually has the, those technical pieces live today. Like, that's amazing. And I am super happy to put the AVM, uh, you know, to, to re retire the AVM. And that's great. And I'll say that similar thing could happen in theory with ZK technology. If ZK technology gets to a point where I think it's competitive with our with optimistic roll-up technology. To be very clear, I don't think that's the case today. I'm not convinced that that will be the case ever. But I don't know, and I haven't bet my company on it, and I don't need to because our mission is not connected to that, right? If a plumber came to your house and said, hey, I'm going to fix a leak with this tool, you might say to them, do, do you want to take a look at the leak first? Like, I, I don't know. Or if they said, hey, and if I come back in a year, I'm still going to use this tool, right? That's like, like, why don't we take a look at the problem and solve the problem and find the best tool available? And that's the approach that we take at Offchain Labs. We look at the problem and find the best tool available. And what I can tell you is, that if we fast forward five years from now, almost certainly the same way we retired the AVM, the same way that in the ZK world, there are constant innovations where they're moving to better proof systems. If you go back like five years ago and look what Zcash la launched on you know, with um, you know, Growth16, like there's many, many innovations uh, and, and new protocols and better protocols objectively than those exist today. So I can tell you in five years from now, we as a community, particularly with all the smart people coming into our community every day and all the, you know, just research time and, and, and smart people coming in, you're, you're going to have better technology than we have today. I mean, I'd be shocked if we didn't. We'd be wasting our time if, if we didn't, if we were not at the, at, the, uh, at the final point. If someone said to me, is Arbitrum technology complete? And I turned back to them and said, is, is Ethereum technology complete? Like, is, is none of this is complete, right? Where, where there's constant innovation and making things better over time. You have to figure out how to do that without breaking things and you have constraints. Um, but that, you know, so certainly in five years from now, it'll be better. But if you say to me, okay, what will be better? Um, I, I don't know. Will we be using ZK? Maybe. Uh, will we be using something else? Maybe. Will we have made optimistic rollups much better with stylus and innovations and the like there? 
uh, yes, and maybe that will be what the path we continue on even past Thylist. I can't tell you for sure, but I can tell you that I probably personally won't be advocating for the same exact technology stack today in five years from now. I'd be shocked if I were. But I also haven't taken a bet on what the future is. So if it's ZK, that's awesome. If it's something else, that's great too. Am I convinced that's ZK? No. If it turns out that there are a few breakthroughs in ZK, which I think will be necessary to, you know, for it to be competitive, will I eat my words? No, that's great. And you know, we're happy to support the best technology available today. Today, that's indisputably Arbitrum Nitro. Uh, and the future will bring what the future brings. And I think one of the importances of upgradability as we talk to the DAO's role is to to if we're it to decide what is the best technology and for it to make sure that it is constantly on the path of the best technology when it, when it considers security at, along with scalability, usability, flexibility, maturity, and all these other uh, verticals. Yeah. Uh, so then just to play a little devil's advocate with you, then if, if, if you are a believer in data, in alternative data availability solutions, giving a better UX, cheaper fees, better overall experience for users, Yes, A, why is Arbitrum still posting data to Ethereum? And then then B, why what is what is untrue about the first statement about data availability outside of Ethereum being being better than posting to Ethereum? Is it just security? Um, yeah. I don't think so. I don't think there's a better or worse here. I think that there are different applications. There's a spectrum. Different applications require different um, technological tools. And some are suited better for other, some and some are for others. So there's no question that posting the data on Ethereum is uh, the ultimate thing you can do for security. And that's the case. And there's also no, and, but let me actually go back and tell you about Arbitrum Nova and, and sort of how that came about or where it came about to, right? So we could stay like firm on our, on our values and our beliefs and say, hey, the fact is that posting all the data to Ethereum is the best from a security perspective. And we should always do that. But what we saw happening you know, like literally in the market, what we saw happening is goes back a few years is projects weren't coming and saying, okay, take a game, games or social applications weren't saying, okay, well, you know, Steven says that uh, the best thing to do is post the Ethereum. So we're going to do that. They were saying, well, that's really nice, but I can't launch my application with, with these fees because even a 10 cent fee or a 5 cent fee, you know, if you're posting this fee, every time you do a move in a game, that's just too expensive for me. I, I can't do that. So it wasn't the case that people were coming and saying, like, you have to be pragmatic as well. So what were people doing? They were going to alternative uh, layer ones that were offering much cheaper fees, which much with much lower security. And so the question that we asked ourselves is, you know, from the Ethereum maxi perspective, because we believe very much in Ethereum, is, is there something we can offer these people that will meet their pragmatic approach? And also offer them, you know, a large degree of the security of Ethereum, not necessarily like um, the full security of a rollup, but something that is better than the security they're going to get. And also something that will meet their objectives. Because if we stood, you know, just firm on our, on our values and didn't think about, you know, the pragmatic parts at all, we just say, okay, this is all we're offering. They're all just going to go and get something that's strictly worse in every, and, and you know, and, and from, from every, every criteria. So uh, that's where that where that came from, and to 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 apply that thinking, um, I will tell you. I'm not going to tell you that a roll up is, is not the ultimate security, but I'll also tell you that there is a place for alternative data availability. There's absolutely a place for this because applications aren't deciding between putting everything in Ethereum or not. They're saying 
well, I'm a game. So if my transaction cost costs this much, I, I just might not as well, might as well not exist. So either it's like shutting down or making a, a compromise. And we say, can we give you a better compromise to make? And that's why uh, this spectrum exists. So I don't think DA is, is alternative DA is good or bad. I think it's good for some or bad for some. But if you take like a DeFi application and currently an Arbitrum one, you know, your couple cent fee is actually fine for, for most users and most applications, even for, you know, relatively small trades. If you're trading $10 and your fee is a couple of cents, it's still okay, right? So we've, you know, um, is there room to go? Maybe if you're trying to trade a dollar or trade 10 cents, yes. And maybe for, you know, ultra small cha chains, you'll need to find uh, other, you know, you know, relatively small trades. Um, you'll, need to, you'll, need, you'll need to find other solutions that can, um best serve those, but I think it has to be a, uh, a decision that, that understands the application and also understands all the alternatives, right? So if it's not, we're not helping anyone if we stand firm in our values and our values and say, this is the best and we won't offer anything else because they're not saying, okay, fine, uh, we're going to launch there. They're going to go elsewhere and have an, a worse security experience and, you know, potentially leave the Ethereum ecosystem. And I don't think that anyone is yeah. uh, well served from that. Yeah, that's the, that was the thing, right? It was like, is the ethos of Ethereum and the alignment going to get in the way of your agnostic approach towards delivering the best products? And also, like, is the ethos of Ethereum going to keep you in check when it comes to this, the, sh the, the, the shiny new DA or the shiny new VM, right? And so, yeah, a and situation. To be clear, like, if I didn't think Ethereum could offer them anything, then we wouldn't, you know, we just say, okay, Ethereum can't help you. It's not like we're trying, like, but I legitimately, I believe that Arbitrum Nova, for example, can offer you a much better secure, you know, sec you know, security guarantee than some of the alternatives that we're using, leverage Ethereum, even if it's not leveraging Ethereum the exact same way to the exact same extent that rollups are, Ethereum still has a lot to offer you. So the question is, can Ethereum offer these applications something as well? But absolutely, if the answer to that was no, then it's like, okay, so then we're not going to compromise on Ethereum's value, but like, but here, hey, here we have something that Ethereum can legitimately offer them to uh, improve their uh, experience uh, and security. And I think that, that the correct thing to do is to offer that, but also make the trade-offs clear. When it comes to DA, by the way, I think that the important um, task at hand for us is to help users understand the trade-offs, right? So it's not, you know, just want, you know it's not like, Arbitrum, AnyTrust, or on-chain now. Now there's a host of different uh, DA services. There's like Celestia, EigenDA, um, you know, Espresso, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are lots of different um, DA uh, options. And I think one thing that we as a community need to do is just give developers the understanding of where do some succeed where others don't, or better, like, why, which is best for my application, right? It doesn't mean any is good or any is bad. It means they all have a different use case and where, where, you know, where, where will we succeed? What is best for what we want to do? And where is the rubric that we can make our decision for? That's something which I think, um, is sometimes the narrative gets in the way that everyone just wants to promote theirs, but promote others, you know, helping you promote yours for your users, for the users that it best serves is a thing I think we need to do. Otherwise we'll just have lots of confusion. Yeah, and I I think Rob's jumping from the guns too, but I just have one last thing that that, that you tweeted. It was <laughs> uh, scroll scroll is Ethereum, zk sync is Ethereum, Arbitrum is Ethereum, Optimism is Ethereum. All these different uh, rollups are Ethereum, and you definitely got some backlash from like some Avalanche folks and some uh, some other folks. So 
I guess a couple a week or so after that tweet, which went totally viral. Um, like any thoughts on where on where the community might be a little bit misled, or where or the point that you're trying to drive home, um, or thoughts on some of the backlash which you received. I I, I just want to have our community understand what, where you're coming from from your perspective, and also perhaps understand some of the counterpoints which some sometimes were a little bit angrily uh, brought up, but uh, such is the way of crypto Twitter. Absolutely. So my point there, which I believe firmly is that um, the the rollup centric roadmap is Ethereum. That is Ethereum's roadmap. That's the rollup that, that that's the roadmap that Vitalik sent in 2020. And uh, we've executed on it to a T and this was not you know, the roadmap for, um, you know, a roadmap that Vitalik had for some system that wasn't Ethereum. This was literally the vision for Ethereum. How do we tailor Ethereum to become this roll-up centric ecosystem? And we're seeing that ecosystem and we're seeing that ecosystem succeed. If you actually look to some of the things that Vitalik said in, in that post, it was like, you know, it's some of the criticism that people have, right? So people, some, so some people come and say, well, these aren't Ethereum because they have their own token. Well, that's actually right there in the post. It says that, you know, these uh, should have their own token. Um, these people say, no, it's not Ethereum because um, their uh, MEV all, uh, doesn't all flow to, because right, chains could monetize MEV in ways doesn't all flow to ETH. That's actually also right there in the post. And Vitalik talks about, you know, funding the ecosystem, funding public goods uh, in, in, in ways that, you know, the Ethereum Foundation can't, can't, can't fund things. Uh, and another actually really interesting thing that he speaks about in the post in this 2020 roadmap is this, he says something like, and I'm going to paraphrase here, so go ahead and read it so I don't misquote, but the idea that I understood is um, people like, you know, having their own little island that they can fight for and they can defend and expanding the Ethereum ecosystem to give people sort of, you know, the ability to be very passionate about their project is actually a feature. And if you look back at all the criticism that, that, that people have, it's, it's literally in all three of these, of these. So people say, right, no, it can't be Ethereum because it has its own token. It can't be Ethereum because uh, it has MEV capture. It can't be Ethereum because, hey, you guys fight all day about other things. It's like, no, that's actually what Ethereum is and what Ethereum has become. Ethereum is the roll-up centric roadmap. It has so many builders, so many more than any other ecosystem. So of course, there's some dissent and fighting and people are passionate about what they're doing. And hey, that's what that's what makes this work. And that's what makes people excited to go ahead and try to move Ethereum in their direction. But to say that this isn't Ethereum is, is I think, just disingenuous. And, you know, and the point to be pointing back to the roadmap is, it's not like, oh, you know, we're looking back, it's 2024 now. It's like, oh, look where we ended up. Let's create some narrative that makes this look like Ethereum. It's like, no, 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 no. There were architectural plans we follow those architectural plans and we did it. You can disagree with those plans. So I have I have no I have no issue, you know, with I think the Ethereum Ethereum's roll up centric roadmap is 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 a good one that allows you to both scale and have security at the same time. And I I will fight, you know, anyone who wants to fight this, but I don't think there's anything wrong with someone else disagreeing and saying, Hey, I, I don't think this was a good roadmap. Like you can say that, but to go ahead and say, you know, you guys are just sort of trying to backfill what you did into Ethereum. This is not Ethereum. It's like that's not true. This is literally what Ethereum tried to be. And succeeded at being at a time when most of these projects that I mentioned in that tweet didn't even exist yet. You know, it set out a roadmap that's called for the, their existence. I think it's disingenuous for others to to say that this is somehow not Ethereum. And some of the takes were like, "Well, Vitalik doesn't get to to uh, say what Ethereum is." It's like well, he kind of does when when it was when it was 2020, and he was you know he, he but and he with community support set this roadmap. You know if. Who does get this? Some Alt L1 uh, founder that disagrees, they get to decide what Ethereum is. So 
Um, I very much stand by the take. Uh, the 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 dissent was uh, interesting, which again made me go back and reread this and really find that you know how robust this was. And um, you know, I think we're going to continue building on this roadmap, continue building uh, building Ethereum. That's what we're doing. You got Andy howling over there about who who, said, who decides what Ethereum is. Um, Steven, I, I got one last question because this has been an absolutely banger podcast. And uh, this is one that we ask uh, everyone who, who comes on. It's a pretty easy one. So I think we're, we're through most of the technical, uh, the technical weeds here. Um, so if you were to, to essentially like run into someone in, in an elevator and give them an elevator pitch on Arbitrum, Ethereum, your vision for the entire Web3 world, like who would you choose to be stuck in an elevator with and why? That's a great question. <laughs> um, yeah, um, probably I, I think the the place where where we as an ecosystem can really benefit most from from adop adoption, um, and we're seeing a lot of it happen today, but more so is when it comes to um, like I would say mainstream uh, tech uh, tech companies. Some of them I think some of them embrace us a little bit. Some of them embrace you know, the blockchain vision, but tried to create their own little version of it and their own little world that doesn't really connect to Ethereum. Uh, I would say that, um, you know, enterprise leader leaderships, I think like, you know, um, uh, like the FANG uh, co companies or the like, and really embrace them on the Ethereum vision. And I'll, I'll, I'll sort of, you know, um, end with one thought on that, which is, there was a time, if you go back five or six years ago, where people very much thought um, as like Web3 and Web2 as um, completely replacements for one another, or Web3, I should say, as a replacer for Web2. So an early like thought of um, social on, on the blockchain might have been said, hey, let's just take Reddit and put all its data on, on, on Ethereum. Boom. We've just we've just moved Ethereum, uh, Reddit to Web3. That's awesome. Um, this is probably where you've, I'm sure if you've been in this space long enough, you've heard someone pitch you on putting all your medical records on the blockchain. I think that's a terrible idea. Um, and, and, but, but again, there was a lot of these thoughts, which is let's just take things that are on the internet and put them on Ethereum. And that to me is like very not exciting at all. The things that are exciting to me is how can we make the internet more decentralized and take some of the components of web three and in, you know, integrate them with our Web2 experiences. You come up with a new differentiated experience. That doesn't mean that we don't need data centers. It doesn't mean that we don't need a local localized CDN. There's a lot of efficiencies, certainly in places where security is not critical um, of, uh, or, or, you know, or the, to the level of you know, security is critical maybe, but not to the level of decentralized security is not critical, that there are a lot of efficiencies come there. So how can these two technologies marry each other? What you end up is with Web3, an internet that's, um, has decentralization and security where it matters. But there's also an understanding of there are places where the efficiency actually makes a lot more sense. And from a cost perspective, just from a timing perspective, from being able to serve content perspective. And th those are the, 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 the places where, where I see. So if I was in that elevator making a pitch to, you know, one, one of these folks, it wouldn't be like, Hey, let's like, 
move Google search onto Ethereum. So every search query now is a transaction Ethereum. Obviously that seems funny now, and it's, it's, it's an exaggeration of what people are saying to be clear, but it would be like, Hey, there are some, you know, really, really good places. And by the way, you know, Google's an example where they are actually very, you know, um, doing a lot, uh, you know, particularly in Google cloud and doing a lot, uh, you know, integrating with, with, uh, different blockchains, including Arbitrum. So, uh, I'm not saying that this isn't happening there, but those are the places where I think we can see more and more mainstream, not uh, wholesale adoption of what we're doing, but integrations into their core products in ways that uh, the sum of the parts is just, you know, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. For the sake of my L1 transactions, please do not bring Google's searches <laughs> on chain. <laughs> we're, see, we're in agreement. <laughs> but I think that you're right. You take away that the... Not to just hate on the Bitcoin maxis, man, but they some some of them had this idea of you just burn it all down to rebuild it. Whereas I think Ethereum's kind of got this more of like this idealistic everyman approach where it's like welcoming open arms um, wh where you see fit, uh, ways that we can optimize, disrupt, but not displace necessarily. Or like we're not, there's no sense in, in trying to get your, get tech adoption by telling somebody or a company that, that we're, we're trying to come for your market. It's like, no, like, let's just collaborate together and make it a bigger market or a better market or better product or tech, right? So, yeah. Absolutely. I think we made a lot of uh, progress as an ecosystem here. And even when I speak to enterprise leaders that can be in the financial sector, uh, but, but others as well, um, there's a deep understanding and appreciation of what Ethereum is doing and a looking, look for these uh, gems where integrating just makes sense, make things more efficient um, for, for everyone involved. And I think we've come, and that's true in gaming too, right? It's really true. And we've come so far uh, on all these verticals. And I think that a lot of that's happening today. So what I said is probably obvious to most people today, probably simple. There definitely was a time, which I remember there, there's, this wasn't the case, but I think we've made a ton of progress as a community there. Is that an Arbitrum Yamaka you have on? It is. No way. <laughs> Rob was telling me about that. <laughs> Steven, Absolutely. thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Great to, uh, great, great to, uh, great to be here. Yeah. Good to meet and for the first time and great podcast. And yeah, thanks for the good questions, Rob and good answers, Steve. And yeah, excited to see the future of Arbitrum. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the DeFi by design podcast and a big thank you to all of our sponsors for their support. Please check them out in the links below, as well as on our website and in our newsletter. We'll be back with more exciting guests and insights. Until then, stay curious, stay informed, and keep designing the future of DeFi.